Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? All right. Good evening. If you're watching online with us tonight, uh, we're glad that you joined us as well. Before we dive into the last part of our uh, series, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind, I wanted to uh, remind you about one thing. Uh, we've got, if you're, if you're new to City Walk, or maybe you started coming a few uh, weeks ago, maybe you've been coming for a few months, but you're like, man, how do I take a step to get connected? Well, there's a few ways, but the one I wanted to highlight today is once a month, we do a thing called Growth Track, and Growth Track t- will take place on May 15th. It's a Saturday, uh, 10 o'clock to noon, uh, over in the fellowship hall, and it's a time where if you want to grow in your faith, you want to learn more about City Walk, you want to learn how you can get connected, we do all of that uh, with some of our staff. And so I want to invite you to, if you haven't already, sign up for Grow Track. You can do that right in the app and join us on Saturday the 15th. And so uh, it's a good time, and it will really help you take a next step uh, if you haven't already uh, got involved in Growth Track. And so well, last week, if you were here, if you watched online, I, I started by showing uh, a few pictures to you. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to start by asking you some really, really important questions. And so get ready. And, and these are really deep questions. And these questions will tell us a lot about you. And, and here's the thing, and this is going to bug some of you guys, you're, you're going to have to answer them pretty quick. You're going to have to decide pretty quick. So you guys ready? Everybody ready? All right. All right. Here, here's the first one. Real important. Chocolate or vanilla? All right. Chocolate or vanilla. Okay. We got I know my daughter, like, cho- she doesn't even think that vanilla ice cream should exist. Uh, but, but she's a chocolate. Okay. Here's the second one. Beach or mountains? Or you can go to Lake Tahoe and kind of get a little bit of both. That's the beauty of California. All right, Michael Jackson or Michael Buble? You're like, it's according to what mood I'm in. If I'm on a date, Michael Buble, if, you know, I got you. All right, and here, here's the next one, and you got to be careful on this one because you can lose friends in this crowd. Dodgers or Giants? Okay, like I said, like I said, you can, we can lose friends a little bit. All right, last one, and you can almost lose friends on this one too. Some people are really passionate about this. Pepsi or Coke? Okay, okay, all right, all right. Ginger ale, if you're asking me, that's what I'm liking. Uh, but, but here's what just happened. Two things just happened. First thing is we, we learned a little bit about each other. Now you know some people you're not going to be inviting over. You just took some people off the Christmas card list because they like the Dodgers and you like the Giants or vice versa. But, but we learned a little bit about each other. But the second thing that just happened is I freaked some of you guys out because uh, just having to make a quick decision like that, you're, like, you're still on the, I kind of like the mountains, but the beach 
And man, having to decide so quickly, for some of you, man, you're like, that, I'm not, that's not the way I like to do it. That's not, I don't like to make decisions that quickly. And so for some of you, you're, you're sweating a little bit now because, man, having to make those quick decisions is not something you like to do. And, and here's what you know and I know, and whether you're watching online, whether we realize it or not, making decisions is just part of what we do literally all day long, every day. We make small decisions all day that, so, that we don't even honestly remember that we made. They seem really not super important, but we're making them. And then, then we make some larger decisions on a regular basis. And, and those larger decisions, they have ramifications on our life. They have ramifications on the lives of others. But either way, we're making decisions all the time. And, and if you have a pulse and if you're breathing, which is everyone... You can probably look back on your life and you can look back on some great decisions you made. And you can, man, look back to last week or two years ago, five years ago, and you're like, man, that was a really good decision. But you also can probably look back and you can say, you know what? There's been some decisions that I've made maybe last week, maybe last night, maybe five years ago. And you would say those weren't the best decisions. And, and none of us like to admit it. None of us like to admit that because of the way I think, it, it leads me to make certain decisions that affect my life. And in fact, in our world, and many times we find ways to kind of blame our decisions on other things. Because, man, it's who, who wants to admit like, hey, I have some jacked up thinking. And so because I do, I make some really bad decisions with my life. We don't like to admit that. That's not fun to think about. And so we're tempted to find places to kind of blame our bad decisions. But we've been talking about this over the last few weeks in this series, and, and it's the kind of phrase that we've used is simply this, where our thoughts go, our life follows. Like when we think about something, when, we, when it's in our mind, when it's on our heart, it ends up showing up in our decisions, it ends up showing up in our life. Science calls this cognitive behavior psychology. This is where doctors have found out that some of the habits that we have, some of the issues that we have in our life go all the way back. They start with some toxic thinking. The scriptures say it this way. Solomon wrote it. He said this in Proverbs chapter 23. He said, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Where my thoughts go... My life follows, not far behind. And one of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, and maybe a question that we've posed kind of in different ways over the last few weeks is, hey, if that's true, if, if where my thoughts go, my life follows, am I kind of hopeless? Like, can I do anything about some of my toxic thinking that has kind of led to some bad decisions or has led to some bad habits? Or am I just kind of, this is just the way it's going to be and I'm just going to have to manage this issue the rest of my life? Is there hope? And, and if, you, if we're honest, you, we may you know, leave church one day and think, hey, there is some hope, but, but we also have times in our life where, man, we doubt there, there's maybe times in your life where you're like, yeah, I, I can do this with God's help. We, well, I, can, I can find some hope and I can get some help for some thinking that I have that's wrong. But then there's other times in our life when, when we are maybe by ourselves and we're thinking, I'm never going to stop thinking this way. 
Uh, I can never stop this habit. I can never not be depressed. I can never not have anxiety. This is just the way it is. And we doubt ourselves. And then if we're honest, sometimes we doubt God in that process. Like, I, I don't know that God can really help me with this. I get it, and I might say he can, and I might say, oh, I think God, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I might even pray to God. But sometimes in the back of my mind, if I'm honest, I doubt whether God can really help me get victory, real victory in this area. I mean, it's like, is that even okay to say in church that sometimes we doubt God? But, but if we're honest, every single one of us, you've had times like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've had times where you've thought, you know what? Yeah, I know what the scriptures say, but I, I'm not really sure if in my situation, with my past, with my thinking, with the habits that I just can't seem to stop, if God can really give me victory in my thinking and in my life. And if that's you, you're in good company. And here's what I mean. You are in really good company with Jesus' brother, James. James was a guy, uh, he was Jesus' brother. I mean, not, not like his brother, like his real brother, family, in the bunk bed, you know, above him or below him. That, like, he lived with Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He was his brother. But, but James grew up doubting Jesus. I mean, think about it. Just put yourself in James's kind of situation you're growing up with a person who actually does know it all. You're growing up with a person that doesn't lose control. He seems to always have things together. He doesn't do things wrong. And when he makes a mistake, he apologizes quick. I mean, he's like that, that kid. And, and as you kind of grow up and, and begin to get older, people begin to encourage you to follow your brother as your Lord and Savior. You're like, dude. I've gone in the bathroom after him, and he's just a normal guy. Like, are you serious? Like, I followed my brother as the Lord's Savior? Come on. And then what happens is some of your friends that you grew up with, even the guys that y'all played together on the playground, you and Jesus and the brothers, like, they start following him and become his disciples. And they're encouraging you, hey, James, dude, your, your brother's the guy. He's the Messiah. Man, man you got to follow your brother. And you're like, no way. And at the height of your brother's popularity, something in your mind very tragic happens. Your brother is taken by the Romans and crucified. And man, it hurts. You, you lost your brother. I mean, it's just tragic for you, but you also feel really bad for the suckers that followed him, and now he's gone. But then something happens. Something happened that, that changes everything for James. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says it this way. He says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Basically what happened is after Jesus had died and rose from the grave, he went to see his brother. And when James saw his brother, who he knew had died, who he knew had been put in the grave, when his brother came and saw him, it changed everything because he realized all that people had said was true. And so James, he moves from a place of skepticism to a posture of dependence on Jesus, and he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is one of the most influential churches in the world. 
James, he, he literally gives his life. It, tradition tells us that at the end of his life, James was martyred in AD 62. Uh, tradition tells us that he was thrown down from the temple and he was beaten with clubs. And just like his brother Jesus, while all this was happening, he was praying to God and asking God to forgive the ones that were doing it to him. Everything changed for James. And before James died, in, in, you know, while he was the pastor in his ministry, he wrote a letter that's named James in the Bible. And he wrote this letter, and, and in the very beginning of this letter, he and we looked a little bit at it last week, what James does, he writes to people that are scattered throughout the world, and they're facing tremendous persecution. They're struggling probably with doubt, and he writes to them, and he helps them reframe the trials that they're going through. He helps them see the trials and the hard times through a different frame so that they understand that all this is happening as a way to mature you in your faith. But then what he does, after he's done talking about this, is he gives these people some hope. He gives these people some encouragement that is so helpful even today as we seek to have wisdom and as we seek to win the battle in our mind. It says this, in James chapter 1, it'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along in the app. It says this in verse 5. It says, now if any of you lacks wisdom... And every hand in the room should have went up. Like, like in that, when they were reading that, like somebody's reading James's letter. Hey, anybody lack wisdom? Every hand in the room probably should have went up. And here's, here's what that word wisdom means. It simply means the skill for living a life that pleases God. Does anybody lack the, uh, the ability or the skills you need to live a life worthy of God? Because again, these people, man, they're, they're scattered abroad, they're facing persecution, they're facing trials, and, and James has just told him, man, your trials are a part of the maturing process for you, but man, as you're going through those trials, that's great, James, thank you, but man, I need some help to go through these, because it's tough. And so he says, does anybody lack wisdom? Does anybody need some help with their thinking to know how to kind of grapple with these things and move through life and have victory? James says this, if, if you do, he says, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. James says, hey, does anybody lack wisdom? Anybody struggling with how to, how to live a life of victory and think right and live right? Is anybody struggling with that? He says, just ask God. Ask God and God will, without grudge, he's not going to get upset for you for asking. He's going to give you wisdom. Not like a sibling that kind of gives you one cookie but makes you like feel bad for taking the cookie, but for... More like a dad that is just generous and loving and rich and just says, oh, I can't wait to give you this. I grew up in a house with three boys, and I was the oldest of the three boys. Uh, there's Matt. Uh, he, he's the second, then Brent, and then me. And all of us were selfish. Every single one of us were selfish. Uh, Matt, want this one right here, he was a little less selfish. He was kind of the nicest one of all of us. But, but even though Brent, no, he was definitely selfish, and his older brother Chris, pretty selfish too. So, so you can imagine three boys, and if one of us would have had like, you know, 10 cookies, and the others had none, 
you know, mom's going to say, hey, hey, Chris, you should probably give Matt and Brent one, you know, you should share. And in front of mom, it's like, okay. And you, you grudge, you know, inside, you're happy on the outside, but you're just, ugh, on the inside, like, come on. But you give them, then as soon as mom leaves, hey, dude, you owe me. You owe me. You're, you're giving me something. But, you know, you kind of hold it over their head. And, and, and you know, you grew up in a family maybe, or you have kids, you're like, yes. I don't pretend that my kids are nice, actually, when I'm not in the room to each other. I get it that they have stuff. But, but as, as uh, James is talking about this, he's not talking about like a sibling that's like, I'll give you a little wisdom, but I'm going to be watching you, and I'm going to hold this over your head. No, he's saying, man, you got a daddy that wants to give you wisdom, and, and man, you don't have to come to him at a certain time and make sure he's in a good mood so that you can ask him for it. You don't have to worry about him biting your head off if you ask. Like He has wisdom, and he wants to give it to you generously if you'll just ask. He loves to give you wisdom, and he happens to have an unending supply of it. You don't have to feel awkward. I mean, you know, you have some people in your life that you know they love you, but you definitely feel awkward when you have to go ask them for something. And you kind of got to walk on eggshells a little bit and like, is this a good time to ask them? I'm going to hold off till they're eating ice cream and they're happy and then I'll go talk to them. Like, you, you know, you got different people like that in your life. Well, you don't, not God. Like, you can ask God for wisdom all the time. And he's always ready to give it to you. And James goes on and he says this, but let him ask in faith without doubting. Basically what he's saying is, hey, if you're coming to God for wisdom, come to God believing that his way is best. Don't, don't, I mean, don't, you wouldn't come to God and ask for wisdom if you were like, eh, I'm not sure if what he tells me is going to be good. So I'll, once he tells me, I'll decide if I'm going to do it. No, James says, if you're going to come to God, bring a really big bucket because he's going to give you so much wisdom and it's going to be more than you ask for, but come believing his way is best. Don't, don't come on the fence. Like if you're going to come, he's going to give it to you, but you got to believe that his way is best. And James goes on and he says, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. If you doubt God's way is best, don't expect him to give you wisdom. And here's what James describes. He says, he says, somebody that comes to God and asks for wisdom but doesn't really believe that God's wisdom is best, James is like, how can I describe that? Kind of like somebody who's in the middle of the ocean and is just driven by the wind and very unstable. And if you've ever been to the beach and you've swam out maybe a little farther than you should and you, you, you get out a little too far and you can't get yourself back in, and you're helpless because you're just at the mercy of the waves. And if le unless somebody steps in and helps you, it's not going to go well for you. That's what James is saying. He's saying the person who comes to God and says, hey, I, I need your wisdom, man. I want to live the way you want me to. I need your wisdom, but I don't really believe your way's best. He says that person's like the person in the middle of the ocean, just back and forth in the waves, so unstable. It's exhausting. See, James, he tries to give us this picture, and if you've ever watched someone in this, or you've ever, and, and say, 
if we've all been that person, it's an exhausting way to live. And it's really hard to watch someone you love live this way too. It's hard to watch. And you, you see this play out. It's like somebody that's so unstable, this decision, that decision, this way, that way, upset, happy. And it's just like, man, you just, just go all in. And that's what James is saying. And then what James does is he goes a few verses later and he kind of keeps on with this theme and, and maybe puts it in a different way because he understands that just like us 2,000 years later, man, we struggle with our life because we struggle with our thinking. And if we don't get God's wisdom, it's impossible for us to really have victory because we've tried on our own and it just hasn't worked out. We've been the person in the waves back and forth so unstable. And so in, in James 4, he, he goes at it a different way. He says this, and he's pretty straightforward here on the first passage. He says, you adulterous people. Like, oh, James, thank you. I appreciate that. Come over for coffee later. Don't, don't you know that your friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Basically, he's saying, hey, when you want to shift your loyalty to the world, you're shifting your loyalty away from God. You're that unstable person. He goes on, he says, or do you think it's without reason that the scriptures say the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? If you're someone, if you're watching online or you're, you're here this morning and you're, you're you're here and you'd say, hey, there's a time in my life where I became a follower of Jesus, where I believe that Jesus died for my sin, he rose from the grave, and I, I ask him to save me. I'm a follower of Jesus. Then the scripture says when that took place, the spirit of God took up a residence in you. And what this passage is saying is, hey, when we're back and forth, try to be friends with the world and friends with God. There's this spirit inside of us that envies and struggles because it sees us going the wrong way. Just like you, when you see someone you love that's going the wrong direction, it just eats you up inside. And he's saying, man, the spirit of God it envies. It's, it's inside of you and it's struggling when it sees you try to be friends with the world and friends with God. And God, I want some of you, but I want some of this. And it says, man, that spirit, it just it struggles with inside of you. But then he says this, but he gives greater grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the person that says, my way is best. God resists the person that tries to manipulate God to be the, hey, basically, whatever I need you and kind of you're at my convenience, God. God resists that person. And I don't know about you. But I struggle enough by myself, I don't need God resisting me. And what this verse means is, hey, when I, when I am back and forth and when I'm friends with the world and I'm friends with God and I'm, you know, all this kind of lifestyle, it's saying basically God is actively fighting against me. He's resisting me. But then he says this, but he gives grace to the humble. Basically, when I, when I humble myself and I say, God, 
your way is best. I need your wisdom so that I can think right, so that I can live right. He says, man, God just pours on you grace. And you felt this, haven't you? Just like I have. You felt this where you have maybe done something that you know was wrong and you inside of you, you didn't want to apologize to somebody. And at the end of the day, it was, it was kind of pride and it was fear. But then you came to a spot where you're like, I'm just going to tell them. I don't care what the consequences are. And even, like immediately when you tell them, it's like something is lifted off your shoulders. Even if there's still consequences, it just feels so good to just, just tear away that pride and just be humble and tell the truth. And that's, that's what he's saying. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those that say, hey, my way's not best. I need your wisdom so that I can think right and live right. He says, therefore, submit to God. And, and that word submit, it literally means to line up under. And for some of you, you're like, I don't know about that. Some of you just automatically, and, and some of us are like this, like we just... Even if the authorities is a good authority, we just buck it a little bit because it's just inside of us to buck any authority. And I get that. Sometimes I'm like that. But what we have to think about is this God that it's saying to submit to is the most loving, perfect, loves you unconditionally, the most gracious, the most giving, the most generous God that wants to just lavish on you his love and his wisdom. And when you think of God that way, it's like, you know what? I can line up under that. I can submit to that. I don't have to like kind of duck like, oh, I'm going to submit, but is he going to hit me? I mean, is he going to get mad at me? Like, like we have to do in other relationships. Like we kind of hold back a little bit because we don't want to put ourselves out too far just in case. Well, in this case, we can line up under, we can submit to God because he's a gracious, loving God. And he says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God or pursue him and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He uses that phrase again. And then he finishes this section and he says this, be miserable. Well, thank you, James. And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And here's basically what James is saying. As he closes this, he's saying, you know what? The sin in your heart, the double-mindedness, it should bother you. It should make you sad because it makes God sad. He, and he's not saying live your life miserably. He's saying, hey, when, when you walk away from God and when you're living and you're, you're, you're out in the waves and you're too back to and fro and you're, you're helpless and you're unstable, that should bother you. It bothers God. He desperately wants a relationship with you. He desperately wants intimacy with you. He desperately wants to give you all the wisdom you need. And it breaks his heart when he sees you back and forth. And it should break your heart too. It should bother you. Sin should bother you. Because God gave his son to pay for that. And so that's basically what he's saying. And whether you think about it much, maybe you'd never thought of it this way, but whether you think about it much, 
you and I, we have an enemy. And, and our enemy desires to have influence in our thinking. And here's what our enemy knows. He knows that where our thoughts go, our life follows. He's not, he's not unsure of that. He knows that. Whether we believe it or not, he knows influence in our thinking. So our life will follow, and he desires to have more influence in our thinking. And so what he tries to do is he tries to get us to think differently about God, to think differently about sin, to think differently about our own ability, to think differently about our trials, and to get discouraged. He wants to gain influence in our thinking because he knows that where our thoughts go, our life will follow. And ultimately, he wants us to believe lies. Think about it. If you're in a battle that you know you can't win, which he is, he's in a battle, our enemy's in a battle that he knows he's going to ultimately lose. What would his strategy be? His strategy is to distract and to distract and to delay because he knows his defeat's coming. It's the way, the way, I mean, if you know you're going to lose, you, you want to live as long as you can, you want to be, be going as long as you can, and so you're going to distract your opponent, and you're going to try to delay the ultimate defeat that's coming as long as you can. And how he does that is he gets in our thinking, and he tries to gain influence in our thinking, and he does a really good job at it. And, and our thinking and how we think ultimately shows up in our life. And so here's the question. Here's the big question that this whole four-week series that we've talked through really comes down to. Simply this, do you want to win? I mean, do you want to win? Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of people that live life and they really don't want to win. If you're a coach, you have athletes like that. They're just happy to be on the team. They don't really want to win. I mean, they'd like to win, but they don't, it's not, it doesn't drive them. You've got people at work that they're just happy to get a paycheck. They, they don't want to win. I mean, it's not a big deal to them. And, and you got a lot of people that, that claim to know Jesus and follow Jesus that, that ultimately they're not trying to win. They're okay to manage lust. They're okay to manage insecurity. They're okay to manage pride. They're okay to make good decisions sometimes and bad decisions sometimes and mess up people's lives because of those bad decisions. They don't really want to win. So the question is, if you're watching online tonight or you're here this morning, do you want to win? And here's the depressing thing. You can't win. Because if you could, you already would have. If you could win over lust, you would have already figured that one out. You wouldn't look at pornography like you do. If you could win over anger, you'd you'd do that. You, You wouldn't be an angry person all the time because you would have fixed that already. If we could win, if I could win myself, I would have done that and I would feel really good about myself. And I'd probably be pretty proud of myself. But we can't win. At least we can't win on our own. We can't win by ourselves, but we can win because, and we've talked about this the last few weeks, because God provides us with weapons 
to pull down lies, he provides us with supernatural weapons, the weapons of his word and prayer to pull down lies and replace them with truth. And then he provides us, as James has told us about today, with unlimited wisdom, that skill we need to live a life that pleases him and makes a difference. He's saying, I'm I'm ready to give you all the wisdom and help you need with that. But the question is, what choice do we want to make? I mean, here's the bottom line. The choice is like we can, and we've done this. We've all done this. We can do the, I'm going to get one foot kind of doing my thing. But I know this God thinks eh, it's helpful, so I need to have a little foot in that too. And, and I may lean a little more into the God thing sometimes, and I may lean a little more into the world thing sometimes according to kind of what I'm going through in my life. And, and you can do that, and we've all done that. And James says, you'll be the unstable person. You'll be back and forth. You'll hurt people without knowing it, and that's just going to be your life forever. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to wish you would go all in for God, but at the end of the day, it's up to you, just like it's up to me. Or the other choice is we can simply believe God. We can believe that God, your way is best in every area. God, You provide me with weapons, the weapons of your word and the weapons of prayer. And I, on my own, I can't defeat these things in my my mind. I can't win the war in my mind, but you provide me with weapons. They're right here for me to take. If I'll just use them and I'll use them consistently, you and your spirit will help me win the war in my mind. And then, God, I need your wisdom. I, I, I can't figure this thing out. I can't do it on my own. I've tried. But you give me wisdom. And so, God, my choice is I believe you. I believe your way is best. I believe your weapons are best. I believe I need your wisdom or I will not win the war in my mind. And, and here's the great thing, and I've already talked to you about this. When you come to God and submit, you don't find a God that's like, yeah, I've been waiting. About time, dummy. You find a loving, heavenly Father that's saying, man, I've had so much for you. I'm so glad you've come. Man, let, let me give you all with all the things I've just been waiting to give you. I've just been waiting for you to come. Just been waiting for you to believe me. Just been waiting for you to trust me. Let, me. let me show you how good your marriage can be. Let me show you how good your relationships can be. Let me show you how, how even in trials and tough times that I'm going to bring you peace. And, and maybe the trials won't go away quickly, but, but there's going to be a peace that you're going to have that, that I'm going to give you because you trust me. You believe me. And you've been struggling with your thought life. You've been looking at pornography since you were a teenager. You've been an angry dad for so long. I'm going to begin to give you victory in those areas. And you've been trying so hard on your own. And it's been such a tough, exhausting, unstable life. But I've got something better for you. See, where our thoughts go, our life follows So this is the last time I'm going to ask this question in this series. If it's true that where our thoughts go, our life follows, are you good 
with the directions that your thoughts are taking your life? Are you good with the direction that your thoughts are taking your life? Because where our thoughts go, our life follows. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're watching online, just in the quietness of this moment, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, man, I have struggled over the years with my thinking. I've struggled over the years with my decision making. I've made some decisions that I regret that, man, have had consequences on people I love. And Chris, to be honest, I've been that guy, I've been that gal that's kind of had one foot kind of in the world and kind of doing my thing and kind of one foot in to God and knowing that that's probably an important thing too. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, can we admit, maybe just in the quietness of this room, that at the end of the day, it comes down to not believing God? It comes down to not believing God in my relationship. It comes down to not believing that God's way is best in my finances. It, it just comes down to at the end of the day, I'm not believing God. And God's saying this morning, he's saying, hey man, I've, I've given you weapons. I've given my word. I've given you prayer. I want you to use those weapons in in a community, just like you're in your local church, in a community. I want you to use those weapons and and, and replace those wrong thoughts with truth. And I want you to do it consistently because as you do that, you'll begin to win the war. But then I've got got something else for you. And I I know you're, you're in your life and you're, you're back and forth and you need direction and I've got so much unlimited wisdom that I want to give you. All you got to do is come ask. Just come. Admit, God, I, I don't have all the answers in my marriage. I don't have all the answers in my parenting, in my finances, in my purity. I, I struggle in some different areas. I, I don't have all the answers. I can't win victory myself, but I'm coming to you, God. And I'm saying, God, your way is best. I need your wisdom, and I'm coming after you. And God says, yes. That's what I've been waiting for, and he's got wisdom for you. So just in the quietness of this room, What's your response to God? Maybe your response is just, God, I'm going to begin to believe you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to spend a little time in your word, and I'm going to believe your ways best. Maybe for you, it's, it's been a struggle with a certain aspect of thinking, and your, your response is, hey, I'm going to this week, I'm going to go home and I'm going to search out the scriptures a little bit and I'm going to find some truth to replace the lies I've been believing. And I'm just going to maybe even write it in my phone. I'm going to write it on a three by five card and I'm just going to have that truth with me. So when I'm tempted to think the wrong way, I'm going to replace that thinking with truth. See, our enemy doesn't, it doesn't bother him that you know there's something in your life that needs to change. It just scares the heck out of him when you do something about it. And so I would ask you, do something about it. Whatever God's telling you, do what God says. 
Jesus, I thank you that we don't have to walk through life alone. We don't have to try to manage our thinking. We don't have to try to gain victory all by ourselves. We can lean into you and the weapons you provide. We can gain wisdom from you. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.